It's about having that plan and that strategy. And I know that sounds, you know, again, sort of so basic, but, you know, rather than just being ad hoc and throwing content out and having a really clear plan of what you're trying to do in those channels, who are you speaking to, what's the content that resonates with them. So using those communication strategy skills and applying it to social media, I think is definitely where um, we can get some additional benefit in social media use for government. Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome once again to GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name is David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me. Today, we have a returning guest, Melanie Gibbons, who is a communications advisor at Elm Communications, which is her own consultancy, which she runs here in Canberra, Australia. Melanie has over 18 years experience in communications across government, not-for-profit and the private sector in Australia and the United Kingdom. And before moving into consultancy, Melanie worked in the Commonwealth Government for over a decade. So with government experience, a focus on customer service, relationships and quality delivery, Melanie has thrived in the local private sector, providing communications advice and a support to a variety of large and small government departments and agencies. She's a passionate communications professional and is now the local leader of the International Association of Business Communicators here in Canberra. She also has academic qualifications with a Master's of Strategic Communications with a dissertation on the Australian government's use of social media. And she joins me in the studio now. Melanie Gibbons, welcome back to GovComs. <laughs> Thanks, David. It's nice to be back. Back in the day, it was used to be in transition and you were a government regulator. That's what, five or six years ago now, yeah. maybe? Yeah, I've been, I opened Elm four years ago. So yeah, a little bit of a little bit of a break from government, which has been nice. Yeah. How, how was that move from, from government out into the private sector, but really back into government in many ways as, a, as an expert? Yeah, uh, it was, look, a tough decision at the time. I, I loved my team and I loved the agency that I worked for and I was really passionate about what we did, but it was definitely time for something new. I'd been there for seven years and I realised that I was sort of starting to do the same things over and over again, so it was time for a bit of a new challenge. And I couldn't quite decide what that was going to be. So, um, you know, having consulted with a range of different people, I think we talked at the time, David. Yeah, we did. Um, I decided just to go out on my own for 12 months, have a bit of a break from being a public servant. I never never thought of myself as a very good public servant. I always tried to break the processes and break the mould a little bit. Um, but now I've actually found that a really good grounding for going back and working into government because I understand procurement, I understand the hierarchy, I understand what it's like working with the minister's office. So I actually understand the world that government communicators work in. So, uh, you know, I think that really puts me in good stead in terms of working with um, a whole range of different teams and being able to provide support and advice to them. Mm. So what's the biggest change that you've noticed over the last few years now that you're back uh, working in government? Um, and, and sorry, you probably have never left government, <laughs> but what are those big changes that you, you're seeing at the moment? Look, I think, you know, the, the story I always tell is when I did my degree 
some time ago now, uh, you know, we used to get sort of one class in the computer lab to be able to learn how to do, you know, typing and how to use email. And we got taught how to use a fax machine and how to send out our media releases via fax. Um, and so I went back to uni because I found that I really needed a better grounding in what was contemporary communications practice. And I wanted to think differently. And um, I think, you know, when I was doing my master's, you know, social media was still something that a lot of government departments were very hesitant about. And that was only 2016, 2017. And now what I've sort of really seen is that um, a lot of government departments are really embracing it. And they've really taken to social media and have lost some of that um, risk aversion that was there a couple of years ago. And is that because they've had to? get over the risk aversion because that's where people are and that's where they're consuming information. So government has to have its story in those places? I think so. I mean, you've got to go to where the people are. And I think it's also because there's better understanding and better acceptance of it at a higher level, at the executive level. So, you know, a lot of the executive now know what Facebook is. They know what Twitter is. They understand, you know, how Instagram works because they're using it in their own personal lives. And I think as that personal interaction with those platforms has increased, then the permission for government communicators to use it in a more creative, uh, freer way has come about. So with that, what are you seeing at the moment in terms of on the ground, inside some of those teams that you're working with? What are some of the new and emerging skills that um, government communicators are going, uh, are going to have to get across? Look, I, I was thinking about this one in terms of sort of the, the upcoming trends. I'm doing some work with the government department at the moment trying to predict what's going to happen over the next two to three years. And honestly, what I think we need to do is go back to basics because we've gotten quite caught up in social media and creativity and video production and animation and delivering all the big shiny things, which I think are amazing. But what we know is that trust in government has decreased and continues to decrease. So the latest Elderman um, Trust Barometer came out earlier this month and, you know, what it found was there was a real lack of trust in government. And so for me it's about, you know, let's go back to basics, let's try to take some of the shine and the spin off everything and actually just provide quality information. And so for me, you know, what I've been sort of talking to a lot of people about is going back to those basic strategy skills, stopping and thinking about who your audience is, you know, worrying less about the grand production that you could put on and going, well, where are, the, where are my audience and what are they reading and what do they need to know and what's the information they need? So for me, I kind of look at it in a slightly different way. I sort of think, you know, maybe we need to go back to some of those basic communication skills around integration and strategy and research. Mm. Would you offer a, an assessment of strategy skills in, in ter inside government? Do you think it's a, a capability that's, that's perhaps lacking or may even have degraded somewhat over the last you know, five or ten years? I don't know whether the skills are lacking or whether the um, ability to produce good strategy has been diminished. So I think as more people have sort of lent onto that social media, video, creative production, there's less and less time to do the really great strategy work. And I know that can be really frustrating for some communicators. I've definitely spoken to people who are like, oh, I just want time to do a great strategy or I want to do the really good work. You know, I want to do the strategic work. And quite often what they're, you know, stuck doing a little bit stuff. is stuff and things, <laughs> you know, um, and making, you know, fixing a fact sheet or fixing up some FAQs to go on the website, but not actually being able to sort of get in at the ground level and, and do some of that strategy work. So what's your advice to people who may be faced with that dilemma? How do they convince their executive that more time spent planning and thinking <laughs> 
is going to be ultimately more effective than more things. More stuff. More stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, my my business's purpose and my kind of thing that really drives me is that I think as communicators we need to be able to demonstrate value and we need to be doing that every day. And, you know, what, what we really need to be doing is looking at, you know, that customer service aspect that you said, you know, I, I kind of hold on to because that's how we demonstrate value within an organisation. And it'll never be a quick thing. It's something that you build up over time, you build relationships, you build goodwill into what you do and you take some of those wins and then you tell people about it. Mm. And I think the, the thing for me that's always, you know, really ingrained me in that kind of thinking and what I took to my team and what I bring to my business now, um, if I could tell a little story, sure. is my, um, my mother worked at Woolworths for her whole career. You know, she worked as a checkout operator when she was a teenager, worked her way up to quite high in human resources. And she managed stores along the way when I was growing up. And so I spent a lot of time in Woolworths stores, a lot of time in lunchrooms and back docks, um, and a lot of time after school hanging around the shop packing shelves. And, you know, every day I just feel like, oh, I just want to get out of here. I'm done. Let's leave. And as soon as my mum had that bag in her hand, no doubt a customer would stop her because she was wearing a uniform and say, can you just tell me where the flour, canned tomatoes, beans are? And my mum would always stop whatever we were doing. We were almost out the door. I could see light and she'd go and show that person exactly in the aisle where they could find that canned tomatoes, flour. And that was really, you know, what drove her was that great customer service. And I think that's quite often what we forget in communications is we are a service area. We're here to deliver something for the organisation we're working in. And without having that service and without people knowing that we can provide that service, we're not able to demonstrate our value. Mm. And so, you know, really having customer service at the forefront of what we do and how we build our relationships and how we deliver and how we build expectations, for me, is really critical to them. So inside a government communications team, this notion of customer mm. might be quite new. So who do you think the customer is? So for me, it's twofold. One, your customer is your internal customers or clients, the business areas, the line areas, whatever you might call them in your department. And they're really first and foremost the relationship you need to build. So if you're not building relationships with your business areas, with your executive, with your secretary or CEO, then quite often you're not going to be brought in early. So if you don't have them as sort of at the forefront of your customer uh, journey for your area, then it's going to be very difficult to get your work done. But what I think we bring, where we bring value as communicators is that we bring in that external view to those conversations. So then having your audience, the Australian public, whoever they might be in mind, when we have those conversations with the executive, that's the value we can bring is that we have this different view of who we're trying to communicate to as an organisation. And so that is to provide a, a, what, a richer picture um, around that customer to to your customers, so to speak, yeah. about what you're what you're seeing, what you're understanding as to that behaviour that may be relevant to that particular group. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're not bringing the audience centric view as communicators, then who's going to bring it? You know, so that's really what I sort of always saw as when I had a team and I worked in house, and now you know is thinking about who that audience is, who are we communicating to. And as I said, going back to those basics and going, well, where are the audience and what do they need to know? So I think that's always the practical overlay that we can bring to some of those conversations in-house. Mm. What about the reputation of communication? Have you seen 
uh, a change in that? Because you, the, the key thing you mentioned there a little bit earlier was brought in early, which is the eternal lament of a com- government communicator a saying... at the table. That's right, yeah. a hand on the steering wheel. But it, it doesn't happen or it's not perceived to happen because brought in too late, you know, decisions are made, budgets are allocated, it's all, it's all over. How... How do you go about that? You know, this notion of getting in and getting in early. Is it it's just about credibility, it's about value, it's yeah. about delivering? Absolutely. And it's about relationships, right? So if you're not out talking to people and finding out what's going on and what's happening with them and you know, understanding their perspective. Um, so I've always said I wish I had a psychology degree as much as a communications degree because for me, building those relationships with your executive is much about understanding them and what drives them and what they're interested in. And only through doing that and understanding their perspective, um, will you be able to actually get in, get into those meetings, get invited in, and be allowed to share your views and perspectives? Mm. And with that strategy piece, then that builds the credibility, I imagine, from your point of view. That if you're able to demonstrate, you know, here is a well thought through uh, articulation of of how we might go about influencing stakeholders, citizens, whoever it might be. Absolutely. And that's where, you know, research is key. And you don't need to spend months and months doing research. What you need to know is where your information is that you can go to and rely on. So, you know, as I said, I've got the Elderman Trust Barometer, you know, front of mind. I've got, you know, a range of other sort of research reports when I think about audiences. And I'll go, oh, let's just go find out what the yellow social media report's saying about social media use in Australia. So it's about having access to those resources and access to other people so that you can actually do some of that research and then put forward really compelling data and information about audiences that's not just based on gut feel sometimes. Mm. You mentioned social media and really the impact and the change of social media. Um, What's your advice around how government communication teams should be using and thinking about social media in order to deliver benefit to to citizens? Uh, look, again, you know, I'm a communication strategist at heart. It's, it's what I do. It's, you know, the bit that I love. And for me, I think it's about having that plan and that strategy. And I know that sounds, you know, again, sort of so basic, but, mm. you know, rather than just being ad hoc and throwing content out and, you know, I know that is hard, particularly in large government departments, because they do have so many masters and so many people trying to get content into their channels. But having a really clear plan of what you're trying to do in those channels, who are you speaking to, what's the content that resonates with them, you know, taking that opportunity to do some evaluation and have a look at what's working, what time of day is posting well, you know, when do you get the most engagement, what type of content works for you. So using those communication strategy skills and applying it to social media, I think is definitely where um, we can get some additional benefit in social media use for government. And in terms of the, the content creation piece, because again, this is an, a, an evolved skill, you know, mm-hmm. that all of a sudden we now have to be able to create podcasts, yes. you know, run webinars, be able to uh, film video, edit vi- video, be able to have basic gra- graphic design skills. What's a, What are you seeing around that space, which is, you know, feeding that beast where there is such demand because everyone is asking for more? Yeah. How do GovComs teams deal with that? Yeah, a, a lot of people are dealing, uh, dealing, struggling Yeah. <laughs> with it at the moment. So, you know, I think um, a lot of are trying to battle through and do as much as they possibly can, but with very few frameworks that are sitting around that about how to prioritise or, you know, what goes onto which channels, what content works well. And it's, you know, I've worked in-house, I know, I know what it's like. It's, you know, sometimes you're just keeping up 
You know, yeah. you're just getting through day to day and trying to, you know, get the next well, thing over. People the come line. in with an order, don't they? Yeah. Rather than a like, problem. You know, I want a podcast or I want yeah. a webinar as opposed to need a video. Yeah. Everybody needs a video <laughs> these days. But that's yeah. the issue, isn't it? Is Absolutely. it is it it's it's preordained that this is what is going to happen. Now, yeah. it may or may not be the right thing, but it's reality. It's what's going to happen because Absolutely. they've got the budget and you're going to do what yeah. they've asked you to do. Absolutely. But again, that as a you know your advice to to people around around that that you know there is a such demand how do they go about best managing their resources their capability their individual capability to be able to deliver I think it's about knowing where your capability and capacity is Mm -hmm. so you know having those frameworks around prioritization and how you can um make sure that you're getting through the high quality work and not just doing everything that comes your way. So making the right decisions around, you know, which battles to pick and which ones not to pick and which ones to let go of when you can. But then also within your team, understanding where some of that capability is and being willing to work together as a team. You know, quite often it's hard when you're in a large government department, you get a little bit siloed by just trying to get through the day-to-day you know, business as usual churn and you forget that there might be someone else in another team that's maybe not as busy today that you could ask for help for. Mm. So I think, you know, there's a lot of opportunity in government at the moment for us to be working better together. Um, The other thing I would say is there's a whole network of comms people out there. You know, if you're trying to desperately write a new social media policy because the High Court just made a decision, which I know happened at the end of last year and got everyone a bit of a, a flurry... Ask the network. You know, there's a big network of comms people that are all doing the same thing. So I think, you know, we can be better utilising our network so that we're not all reinventing the wheel all the time. That comes to a a good question or leads into a very good question, I think, around the network or a network, um, the International Association of Business Communicators, the IABC. As I mentioned in the intro, you are now the boss here in Canberra. Um, There's value in networks, aren't there? You know, real value in networks. Yeah, I, I don't think I quite realised how much, uh, how important my network was until I went out on my own and started my own business. And, you know, I, I, found, I found this little community, I think, within Canberra of comms people who are willing to help and willing to support you. And I really thought when I went out on my own that it would be a bit of a competitive um, environment with different consultancies and a lot of contractors out there. But actually what I found is this really lovely group of people who all want to help each other. You know, I know David, you and I have had a heap of conversations yeah. and, you know, you've always been great providing advice and so have so many other well-established consultancies. And that for me is so invaluable as a new business owner. But it's the same across communications teams. So, you know, having IABC there means I can tap into a whole range of different comms teams and I can be you know, connected for my clients. So I know that I'm not the first one to write a social media plan. I'm not the first one to write a comms strategy. And I know that I'm not the first one to probably make up something in government. And so I can reach into those networks and say, who's written a policy on this? Has anyone got something I can use as a base? And I think that's what everyone should be doing because, you know, we should all be working together to make communications easier for ourselves so we can focus on the really good strategic interesting work. Mm. So I'm I'm interested, what are the the topics of conversation that you're hearing at the moment Mm. inside that local community in government at the moment? What are the, say, the top three things that people are talking about? Uh, Recruitment. Uh, (laughs) Recruitment comes up in almost every conversation I have. So we have a lack of communicators coming through, which is um, a pretty big challenge is, for everyone. Is, is it a lack of communicators coming through or is it that the demand has gone up so much higher? Yeah. 
Yeah, both. I think there is uh, a increasing demand for communicators. And I, I hope that COVID's kind of had a role in that. You know, maybe that's one of the great things that came out of having a pandemic for communicators is that our role's actually much more appreciated. People all of a sudden saw the benefit of internal communications and great employee comms and having to communicate really clearly to the public. And we've learned some lessons from that. And I can definitely see there's a there's an increase in the need for communicators across Canberra. And so, um, you know, there's definitely more roles than, you know, than people at the moment. Um, I think every day in, across our board, we're all sharing jobs that we've heard about to see if there's anyone out there. Mm. Um, and then there's, you know, about shifting expectations, I guess, as well. So our recruitment agent, I, I know, told me the other day, she's really glad I'm not in government at the moment because my expectations would be too high and that I really need to... What do you mean by that? I always had extremely high expectations about the people that I was trying to recruit into oh, my team. Right, gotcha. <laughs> so she was happy not to be working with me. Okay. Um, but I think that's the thing. Expectations need to change and we really need to be focusing on how can we upskill people once they're in-house? What's the professional development we can provide people to maybe, you know, get them that extra bit of skill we were looking for rather than expecting people to come in already having those skills. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's, you know, I guess if I was to provide any advice around the recruitment story, it's about, you know, really hunting for attitude and the right person, but maybe not necessarily the whole skill set you were originally going out for. Yeah. And I think that's an you know, important point that you raise, that there is then uh, very deliberate learning and development plans that are put mm. in place to help people to stay with this ever-evolving, changing, adapting um, context that people have to be effective in. Absolutely. So that's two things. If we okay. talk about recruitment, right. we talk about skills. What's a third thing that might be <sighs> in, in, involved? What do we always talk about? I think everyone's talking about how busy they are in Canberra at the moment. Mm. I mean, that's how we started this conversation today. Mm. Um, you know, it's an election year here in Australia and um, that means that for communicators, we are ramping up until we get to uh, caretaker. And, you know, I think... Uh, it's been a busy year. It was a weird year last year is probably the best description. And not a lot of people got the break I think they were expecting over the summer. So um, the year's definitely started on a pretty fast pace. Um, but hopefully Caretaker gives everyone a little bit of breathing space and a bit of a chance to regroup and, you know, reconnect with their teams, hopefully back in the office for a little bit and, you know, take that moment to do some of that evaluation and, and regrouping. I want to take you just into the future a little, if I may, just as sort of to wrap up our conversation today because I'm intrigued with people's views. And uh, interesting, you mentioned that um, you're being asked uh, already by clients to take a bit of a look into the future around what's going to be required, how it's going to be required, um, where comms teams are ultimately evolving to. Because I have a bit of a theory that because of the demand, because of the change, the role of comms areas is going to evolve into much more around sort of centres of expertise, providing guidance, but increasingly the work is going to be done in the line areas, mm -hmm. at the edges of organisations because of the need for speed. Yep. Um, do you agree with that, my little theory that I've got? <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, the the hardest things for comms people to do quite often, you know, we're high achieving we want to be involved in everything. We want to, you know, have our fingers on, on all the different things that are leaving our organisation. I don't know many comms people who aren't a little bit perfectionist deep down that really want a good quality comms outcome and it's not possible, mm. you know. It's not possible for us to do everything. It's not possible for us to be in on every meeting 
doing every strategy, delivering every single piece of content. Mm. So I, I absolutely agree with you. I think there's got to be, you know, a way that we can be a centre of excellence in the centre of the organisation, yeah. but be providing the tools and the templates and the resources and the training out to the business areas so that they can be delivering great quality comms that maybe we, want, we aren't hands-on with all the time. Because I don't think the, yeah, that, that, that sort of central resourcing um, component is not real. I can't see it getting to the size that it's ultimately going to need to get to, to in order to meet the needs of citizens who are demanding more mm. in different formats at different times faster. Mm-hmm. So, therefore, yeah, it, it is that evolving role, isn't it, from... Uh, doer to to teacher as such, but then how do you go about that? How do you go about evolving a capability such that you know it is seen as an expert um, and it's able to teach and build capability as opposed to being expert at doing? And, well, you know, a great example of this is accessibility. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a topic that I talk about with um, communications teams over and over and over again. And I got pulled up on a lot during my time um, in-house. And it's that we try and do it and deliver it. So we're trying to make every government document accessible. We're trying to make sure all of our images are accessible and, you know, that we're applying that ourselves. But what we're forgetting along the way is that we could actually be training the business area to do some of that work. And, you know, I once got told, uh, we got some feedback from an executive once in my team saying that he wanted us to stop doing the doing and be more strategic and I thought, we write strategies all the time. What yep. do you want from me? And he was saying, I want you to stop formatting documents and making them accessible. Tell my team to do it. They can format a document. Yeah. And it really, it's a shift in thinking because quite often um, you think, oh, you know what, I'll just do it. It's easier. But actually once you've done four or five or six or seven, or it's not easier. It's time consuming. Mm-hmm. And so it's about really trying to shift that thinking into, well, how can I do this as a self-service? What Can I do one training course for that whole area and that would actually stop me having to do some of the work? Mm. And it's hard. It's absolutely a mind shift and I know we want to do a great job all the time, but you're right, the speed is picking up. Yep. It's continuously ramping up yep. and the demands on comms teams are continuously increasing and I don't think that's going to change. I can't see it changing anytime no. soon. Um, and again, well, you know, I think you sort of look at the whole system, you know, from ministerial offices all the way through the organisations. You know, a lot of those central comms resources are, you know, directed towards the needs of executive, directed towards needs of ministers and sort of what's left over is what's left over. Yeah. Um, and I think the, the bigger risk is that if the central comms areas don't take that sort of pastoral sort of view, mm. you know, you're going to have lots of shadow teams doing all sorts of different bits and pieces and that's when risks go up, that's when mistakes get made and that's when trouble absolutely. arrives. Yes, absolutely. Reputational and brand risks left, right and centre. So, Melanie, thank you for coming in once again. Thanks for coming back. Um, as I say, it was a while ago in transition. That was the podcast many moons ago, for those of you who don't know. It was called In Transition as we were discussing this notion. Even back then, it was this notion we were moving um, and, and we were changing. But I tend to agree with you that there has been sort of almost this step change, this this moment in time with, through COVID and the requirement to you know, particularly using digital channels to be able to go direct to citizens to better explain, you know, policy, program, services, regulation. And there is the demand. And I think this is one of the other 
traditional perhaps mindsets within government of, you know, people don't want to hear from us. Well, I think they do. And I think that's been proven now that they do. But what they do want, they want it, you know, in the form uh, on the channel, the as you mentioned before, at, at yeah. the time of their choosing when they want it. Um, so I think, yeah, the, you know, the capability of the, of the profession, the maturity of the pre- profession, the changing of the profession, I'm very glad that people such as you uh, are going to lead that because I think it's going to have to take place over this next little while in order ultimately to restore some of that trust. Um, because yeah, how do you feel as a, as a communicator when you see trust in government as low as it is, knowing that it is that trust that comes through storytelling, you know, yeah. through accurate, um, reliable statistics. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Disheartened? No, uh, that's not fair. I mean, I think, you know, quite often when the public thinks about government, they think about politicians. Politics, yeah. Um, and what's often forgotten is the people that are sitting behind that, which is the government communicators. Mm. Um, I worked in climate change for a lot of my career in... Uh, in the public service. So, you know, it can be pretty demoralising some days where you think, we thought that was great. We thought that we explained that so well. (laughs) And you realise pretty quickly that, you know, maybe you didn't. Um, And it's hard. But, you know, it's it's really about, you know, the, the Elderman Trust Barometer found that one of the biggest things that you can do to increase trust in government is to provide quality information. You know, and I'm a small business owner. I use government services. You know, if you can make it simple for me to figure out what I need to do, I will love you for life. And so I think, you know, I bring a lot of that into my role now too is, you know, I can put myself in the shoes of a small business owner. I can, you know, understand what it's like to be a consumer. I can understand what it's like to be someone living in a capital city. Um, And, you know, I think really we've got to be doing a lot more of that is putting ourselves in the shoes and going, mm. you know, what do people need to know? How can we build trust? What is the information they need? Human-centred design's been around for a long time and it's mm. certainly at the core of, of good communication planning. But could you would, you would you give us a rating or a ranking on on how pervasive is it, it is at the moment or how much more needs to be done to get people to in, working in government to think more about that perspective of the citizen? Yeah, I think there's definitely still opportunities there. Mm. It's it's not something, and I think it's the the speed at which we have to produce communications. It's the uh, external influences that we may not necessarily always get to decide how communication goes out. Um, and, you know, it's really uh, the churn, you know. A lot of communicators I know are just getting through every day. Mm. And so, you know, quite often what falls aside is that, as I said before, yep. some of that strategy and planning and research. Yeah. Interestingly, I've seen a an advanced copy of the um, OECD's um, first uh, research into government communication. Mm. And one of the big takeouts is lack of strategic planning. Mm. And it's not just here in Australia, it's everywhere. Absolutely. Uh, and it's a, a major problem. Now, we could actually, we may even come back and talk about that <laughs> at another day. Um, but thank you so much for coming in today, Melanie. Um, thank you. Great to see you again. Great to see you so well. Uh, congratulations on that appointment to the IABC as well. Thank you. Great to see uh, a very important organisation in such good hands. So best of luck okay. with that role as well. Thank you. Uh, the audience for coming back once again. What a fantastic conversation today with Melanie. So many Bits of wisdom there that you can take away. And I think optimism too. I think the tone is optimistic. Yes, it's sort of a little bit like, 
oh, some days it can be a bit like that, but the mission is important. And I think Melanie uh, described that and explained it beautifully today. So a big thanks to her. A big thanks also to Olivia Casamento, who is the showrunner, who makes these programs happen each week, and also to Ben Curry, who is our technical producer. I'm very grateful that you've come back for another episode of GovComs. We'll be back at the same time in two weeks, but for the moment, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the GovComs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes.